We so love being here. It's great to be with you all this morning. What a wonderful time worshipping together. It's great to have the youth in with us today. Um, and your, your youth workers have prepared a series of questions to help you focus during the sermon. Uh, because of the high value your youth workers place upon Christ-exalting biblical preaching, question five is, out of ten, how do you rate Tim's beard? <laughs> Literally. So I hope that blesses you. If you can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21, please. I've so loved uh, these last few weeks as we've been looking at the encounters Jesus has after his resurrection with his disciples. Every time you open the Bible and read any passage of Scripture, you should always ask the question, what does this text reveal to me about who God is? What does this teach me about God? Every time. How does this lead me to Jesus? How does this show me who Jesus is like and what Jesus is like? And then, and then you should ask, and what's the implication of that for my life? What are the implications of this revelation for my life and for the church? Important to ask those questions. And as we read this passage today, as we ask the question, what is God like according to this passage? What does this reveal to me about what God is like? And what are the implications for my life and my heart? My prayer for all of us is we would find ourselves so encouraged, so loved, so affirmed as we realize the God that's revealed to us in this text is full, rich in mercy rich in mercy towards us. So this is the God that we love and worship and that we are invited to, to meet and to encounter this morning. So we're reading from verse 15 and I'm gonna read down to verse 19. John chapter 21, verse 15. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? more than these. Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your son. And we thank you for this powerful exchange between Jesus and Peter. 
We thank you so much that it reveals the heart of God, tender-hearted, warm-hearted, abounding in grace and kindness. I pray today, Lord, for each of us, would we similarly have an encounter with you where you lift from us condemnation, where you lift from us shame, where you lift from us guilt, where you lift from us any sense of the filthy, dirtiness of sin, that we would have an overwhelming experience of the truth that in Christ we're blameless. I ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think this, the, there are two major themes that I'm going to emphasize in this passage. The first is grace to sinners. Grace to sinners. Where grace is kindness and, and gift and unmerited favor. Grace to sinners. And then secondly, grace for Christian leaders. Grace for Christian leaders. This is one of the most powerful conversations recorded in the whole Bible. But in order for us to appreciate something of the power of this moment, it's helpful to be reminded of the major conversations and interactions Peter had with Jesus through the Gospels. So we know why this is such a powerful exchange. So I'm just going to pick out a few highlights from Peter's life. So Peter has his first uh, most powerful encounter with Jesus as he's on a boat. Peter is a fisherman. He's been fishing all night and caught nothing. Jesus then calls out and says to him, cast your nets onto the other side. Peter casts his net, and there is an astonishing catch of fish, so great they need help from another boat to come alongside. Peter's response to this display of the power, the awesome power of God in Jesus, is to fall to his knees and to say to Jesus, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. This encounter with the power and the awesome might of of God who can do this type of miracle is for him to feel overwhelmed by his sin. Get away from me. We then have the moment when Jesus is walking on on the waves and walking towards the disciples on the boat and they see him coming and they're like, is it a ghost? What is this? And Jesus says, don't be afraid, it is I. Peter says, if it is you, Lord, then then call me to you. Jesus is like, all right, come then. So Peter gets out of the boat, and Peter, with his eyes fixed on Jesus, walks on the waves until he takes his eyes off Jesus. And then he starts to sink. And then we have the moment in Matthew 16, where Jesus says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And the disciples respond, well, people say that you're John the Baptist, or you're Elijah, or you're one of the prophets. And Jesus is like, no, who do you say that I am? At which point Jesus uh, hears Peter say, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus' response is, yes, Peter, you've got it. I'm so thrilled because only You you can only state that if it's revealed to you from above by my Father. Yes, Peter. And then Jesus goes on to say, and I'm going to die. He speaks of his coming crucifixion. What does Peter do? Never, Lord. 
So he's just been called, so here's the point, he's just been called Peter for the confession of faith. Peter means rocky. He's been called rocky. And then he says, you're not going to die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Wow. So Peter's confession of faith in Jesus as Christ is rocky, but a, a confession of Christ without the cross is Satan. Important just to take a note of that. And then we, we have the upper room conversation that takes place in the hours before Jesus is crucified. Jesus has washed his disciples' feet. And then he says to them, truly I tell you, you're going to all scatter and leave and desert me. Peter says, never, not me, even though all these others leave, even though all these others give up on you, I will not. In other words, I love you so much more. I would never do that. And Jesus looks at him and says, truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And then we have the scene as Jesus is being led to be crucified. And Peter is there in the crowd. A few, an hour or so before, he's cut off a Roman soldier's ear with a sword. And he's there in the crowd and someone comes up to him and says, I recognize you. You're one of his disciples. Never, not me. Someone else comes up and says, I know you. You're one of the disciples of Jesus, not me. And then the third time, this guy's one of Jesus' disciples. And in Mark's account, not only does it say that, that Peter denied he knew Jesus, it says he called down curses and started swearing. Richard Borkham, in his commentary on this passage in this moment, says what's actually happening here is the curses that Peter calls down are upon Jesus. Not only does he deny him, but he curses and he swears. At which point, the rooster crows. Jesus turns and looks at Peter. And he is mortified. Now, that brings us to this passage of Scripture. Where Peter has his first conversation with Jesus, one-on-one. How's it going to go? Now, already, Peter has tasted of the goodness and the grace of God. We, we read in verse 7, when they're out in the boat, we read this. When, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he'd taken it off, and he jumped into the sea. Right, so just contrast the reaction. So there's another huge catch of fish, but there's this reaction from Peter. The first instance we, we mentioned right at the beginning of the Gospels, go away from me. I am a sinner. Go away from me. Here, it's the Lord. He's straight in the sea. He's like, Usain Bolt, I can't get there fast enough. What's changed? You could argue he's just committed his worst ever sin. 
you could, you could make a case where he's more sinful now than he's ever been. And yet now, he's not hiding and saying, leave me. He's, he's running to Jesus. What's changed? Grace for sinners. What's changed? Crucified, resurrected, alive. What's changed? Punished in my place. Took my penalty, took my judgment, took my condemnation. What's changed? No fear of retribution, no fear of punishment, no fear of condemnation. Only a Lord and Savior who loves me. His heart has changed. That is the invitation for sinners like me. Grace, kindness, doesn't treat you as your sins deserve. And so what happens is Jesus says to the guys, come and eat. He's already got breakfast on the go. Bring me a few more of those fish. Let's eat. And so the disciples are sat around the fire. They're eating breakfast with Jesus. And then it says, and then after they had eaten... Jesus looks at Simon Peter. Little tip for you. If you're going to have an intense conversation with someone in an evening, have it after dinner. <laughs> after dinner. So sit down, comfy sofas, mug of coffee. So we need to talk. If you come around my house, that's how it goes, okay? Heads up. When they had eaten. So... Jesus has already fed Peter. He goes on to say, feed my sheep. Again, just, just, a, just a comment. You must be fed by Jesus first. You, you must be fed by Jesus first. If you want to feed others. He's been fed by Jesus. And Jesus speaks to him like this. He goes, Simon, son of John. Now that's... That's fairly intense. So if, if a friend of mine says, looks at me and says, Timothy John Blaber, I'm like, whoa, what's coming next? Now this is, a this is a serious moment. He arrests his attention. He looks straight at him. What question does he ask? What question does he ask? So he's about to commission Peter. He's gonna commission him to be a leader in his church. Does he say to him, Peter, will you assure me that you will never deny me again? Doesn't ask that. Peter, will you guarantee, if I give you responsibility, if I make you a leader in my church, will you promise me that you'll never behave like that again? No. That's not what he says. He says, do you love me? This is precious insight for us into the heart of God. Because you and I have this tendency so often to cast God in our own image, to think of God behaving how we would. So that when God is offended, when God is sinned against, as Peter sinned against God, we think, well, it's either going to be punishment or judgment, some kind of, some kind of heavy chastisement. But that's not what happens. So that when you come to God after you've sinned, he doesn't say, will you promise 
never to look at porn again. He doesn't say, will you promise never to get drunk again? Will you promise never to talk to your wife like that again? He says, do you love me? Why does he ask that question? Why is that the question that he asks? Because if you attempt to fight sin in your own strength, just trying not to do it again, I can guarantee you it's not going to last long. How do we fight sin as Christians? We fight sin by loving Jesus more. That's how we fight sin. I fight by loving, by worshiping, by being at his feet, by being before him, by looking him in the eyes, by enjoying his presence. If I try in my own strength a bit harder, legalism, pride, self-centeredness. Jesus doesn't say to Peter, just try a bit harder next time. He says, do you love me? And he says, do you love me more than these? Well, what does he mean by that? More than these, more than what? And I cast you back to what Peter said in the upper room. Even if they all desert you, Even if these guys run off, I won't. I love you more than these guys. Do you love me more than these? And Peter, Peter's learned his lesson. He doesn't say, I love you more than these guys. He says, Lord, you know that I love you. That's a really significant answer to the question. He's not not the normal Peter who's like gung-ho, drawing attention to himself. It's all, I'm the, I'm the best disciple. It's like he's had such a sober realization of his own weakness. And he appeals to the knowledge of Christ. You know I love you. You know my heart. You know that I love you. Three times. Three times. Three times he asked Jesus that que- he asked Peter that question. Do you love me? You know the significance of the fact that it was three times. Three times he denied him. Three times he's asked the question, Do you love me? Why does Jesus do that? Is he toying with him? You see, it says that he was grieved when he asked him the third time. Is he toying with him? Is he being a bit cruel? No, this, honestly, this is so amazing. This is what Dale Bruner says of this moment. Jesus wanted Peter's last memory of his last meeting with Jesus to be Peter's threefold, I do love you, Lord. I do love you, Lord. I do love you, Lord. Rather than his shameful threefold, I don't know the man. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. Isn't Jesus kind? I want you to to hear yourself say this because what I don't want always resounding in your ears is the moment of your shame. I want resounding in your ears your affirmation of your love for me because that's, that's the crucial thing. That you love me. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, 
yes, yes. Grace upon grace upon grace. Three times. Next, I want us to think about two qualifications for Christian leaders. And don't write yourself off in this moment if you don't consider yourself to be a Christian leader. Because if you're a Christian, then you're a leader. You have to lead yourself. You want to lead others to Jesus. And there are various levels of responsibility. And there is a particular challenge to those who are shepherds, pastors in the church. There is. To be setting an example. To be imitating Christ. But this is challenging. Here's the first qualification. Failure. The first qualification for Christian leadership, failure, weakness, vulnerability, inadequacy, can't do it in my own strength. First qualification. And you think of anyone that God uses in the Bible. You think of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Gideon, Samson, David, Solomon, and I will show you their failures and their weaknesses and their sins And I will show you somebody who God uses for that very reason. Failure doesn't disqualify you, it qualifies you. If, like Peter, your response is running to Jesus, falling at his feet, declaring your love for him. Qualifies you. Now we live in a context, in a culture, where leadership is all about strength, superiority, power, authority, being better than everybody else. And that is not Christian leadership as modeled to us. Weakness, failure, vulnerability, inadequacy. Can't do it in my own strength. And if if you feel like a failure, and if you feel inadequate for the task, and you feel your sense of weakness then you're the kind of person that God loves to use. If you are willing. We heard it earlier on as Henrik was speaking. Try to walk humbly. (laughs) Love that. Humbly is to point to Jesus, point to God, and not to my own strengths and to my own abilities. Tozer said this, beware any Christian leader who doesn't walk with a limp. Beware any Christian leader who doesn't walk with a limp. He uses our failures. I I honestly have had to deal with a sense of being a failure a lot. Growing up, I I was one of those kids. I was always getting into fights at school. Failed my 11 plus. Never had any sense of going to achieve anything or do anything, genuinely felt like, like a, a failure a lot of the time and was a lot of the time. Did not do well in my A-levels. Didn't get my first choice of uni. Struggled. I find myself today doing something which I would never have imagined myself doing, and I can only say God has used me in my weakness and in my failures. And I know around the room there are so many stories like that. One of the things I love about Steve is his willingness to lead vulnerably. Show weakness. It's godly. It's godly. It's how he he does it. 
Failure is a qualification. Beware the Christian leader who doesn't walk with a limp. Don't bury and deny and pretend like you don't have weaknesses and failures. Own them humbly that God might use you mightily. This is what happens here. The next thing is love for Christ. Love for Christ. Matthew Henry in his commentary says this, Before Christ would commit his sheep to his care, he asked him, Lovest thou me? Those that do not truly love Christ will never truly love the souls of men. Before Jesus commands Peter to feed his sheep, he feeds him. He asks him, do you love me? We have nothing to offer if we don't love Christ with all of our hearts. Love for Christ is a qualification for Christian leaders. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus more than life itself? Sometimes we don't seem to in our decisions. But we come humbly again and we go, oh Lord, your love is better than life itself. It's very possible for people to get so caught up in their own ambition, their own achievements and their own accomplishments, and it's possible for Christian leaders to do that. And it's devastating to the church. Two commands for Christian leaders. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. That first encounter that that Peter had with Jesus on the boat when there was that massive catch, he says to him afterwards, he says, I will make you fishers of men. You'll be a fisher of men. Here he says, feed my sheep. So there are two callings you could say that Peter's received. He's called to fish and he's called to shepherd. So Christian leadership is, if you like, fishing and it's shepherding. So this picture of fishing is going out and, and drawing in. It's not just done in isolation. It's done in communities, how fishing was done in communities. This isn't just one guy with his fishing rod. This is community. So we are called as a church to fish, to draw in, but also to shepherd. So the Christian leader that doesn't fish, who is besotted with shepherding only, you'll probably find the church is always the same people. It's never never anyone new coming, never anyone meeting Jesus. Those that are are obsessed with fishing don't necessarily end up caring for their sheep. So you might have lots of new people coming in and lots of people going out through the back door. So Peter's challenged, you're to be a fisher of men and you're to be a shepherd. You're to tend, you're to feed, you're to care for the flock. Those two are very important. In this instance, the emphasis is upon shepherding, feeding, caring, tending, nurturing. And bad shepherds result in scattered sheep. This week, I'm going through the the Murray McShane Bible in a Year reading plan. And and, uh, I was doing this sermon here on Thursday for, for online and that, that morning I read Ezekiel 34. I'm not going to go through it now. I don't have time. But just to make reference to it, Ezekiel 34 is a description of the bad shepherds of Israel. How those priests who were meant to be helping and caring for the flock, the sheep of Israel, were bad. What's a bad shepherd look like? Well, it says you were feeding yourself. You were taking all the fat. You were taking all the wool. You were taking all that was good and you were consuming and feeding yourself and consequently 
the sheep scattered, the sheep have gone. And, it, and it's, a, it's a very challenging word. And then it, it concludes with, but I'm the shepherd. I, the Lord, am the shepherd. I go after the lost sheep. I will bring them in. I will tend them. I will care for them. I will nurture them. Who is the great shepherd? Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. And those of us that have shepherding responsibility in the church do so as under-shepherds. And indeed, this is the last thing that is said in this passage we read. After saying this, he told him, follow me. Because, Peter, you're a sheep. And I'm your shepherd. Follow me, follow me, follow me. And for Peter, he follows him right to the point of his own crucifixion in the end. It's how he dies. Follow me. He is fully restored. And he's fully restored among his mates who must have found Peter so irritating on occasion. Jesus doesn't ignore his sin, but he he brings healing, redemption. So the invitation for all of us today is, will we go to Jesus? Will we run to him? Will we enjoy being in his presence? Will we let him feed us? He sees everything, he hears everything. And my sin, far from being something that casts him away from me, he moves towards me now in mercy and kindness and grace to restore me, to draw me back. Adam hid in the garden. He feared judgment. Peter jumps out of the boat and runs to Jesus. God is here this morning with us. God is here. Does your heart, are you like Peter, warmed towards towards him? Have you known that kind of grace? Why don't we stand? I'm, I'm so thrilled we're taking communion today. This is such an excellent way of us obediently responding, I think, to all that we're hearing. Jesus knows that we need help to understand this grace. That's why he gives us the bread and the wine. He knows that sometimes we don't feel this love of God as we would like to feel it. He gives us something tangible to eat and to drink. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. This is the covenant. What is a covenant? It's a promise. It's a promise. And the promise he's given to us has been sealed for us at the cross. These symbols point to that sealing moment where the covenant is assured and guaranteed in his blood. I read this morning this stunning truth. Sometimes the clouds come over the sun and we feel the coolness and we want the warmth. The sun isn't diminished, the sun isn't less. It's just that the clouds have come over and and we're not feeling its heat so much. That's what sin can be like for the Christian. You're feeling a sense of coolness, you're feeling a sense of the distance. When we lay our sin before, if we ask for forgiveness, 
the cloud moves again and the sun's warm upon us. He's always warm towards us. This is why we confess our sins and this is why when we have the bread and the wine, we confess our sins to God. I confess my sin, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness. And as we take the bread and the wine, the warmth. Father God, we thank you so much for this grace towards sinners. We thank you so much that your invitation now is boldly approach the throne of grace. Not timidly questioning, do I belong here? Boldly come. And so today, Lord, we receive that invitation and we boldly come to the altar as it were. We take the bread and the wine and we recognize the precious gift of grace. Help us all to enjoy this freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.